Uh, We're beginning a new series called Called by God, and we're going to talk about God's plan for your life. Now, sometimes you'll um, ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up, which is interesting because how do you know what you want to be when you grow up when you're a kid? But uh, I, I found some that I found interesting, and I thought I would share them with you. I think I have five or six slides of kids who are answering the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, this first one says, I want to get a girlfriend, I want to kiss her, I want to rule the world. There's a certain um, uh, p- pattern there, you, know, there's a, you have to do one thing before the other. Uh, this kid says, when I grow up, I, want to, I, I am seven, I want to be eight. So uh, that's setting the bar a little lower, I, I think that's not the worst plan. This is the kid I want you to notice right here. He wants to be Burger King and it looks like he's on his way. And so uh, uh, I like that. Um, this one... <laughs> I want to be some guy who is a person who does nothing. Uh, so uh, he wants to be a preacher. And uh, th- there you go. I, I kind of feel that. Now, we tell our kids, you can be anything you put your mind to. Don't we say that? I mean, you heard that. You know, anything you put your mind to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the next two. We'll see what you say about that. All right? When I grow up, I want to be a dog. Uh, now, I'm pretty sure can't do that. This next one makes me giggle just to think about you can be anything you put your mind to. When I grow up, I want to be black Spider-Man. Uh, all right, okay, so fairly certain that's not going to work out. Okay, so stuff sometimes wouldn't work out for us. The Bible talks a lot about what God wants for us, what he wants us to be when we grow up. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So the goal of following Jesus is to live a godly life. Whether things go your way or not, whether it's easy or not, Sometimes it's difficult. Think about this. For the most part in America, for all of my life anyway, being a, a follower of Jesus really has been relatively easy. You don't, you're not persecuted, that sort of thing. But we live in a very um, different world today, and some of that might be changing. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the planet who live in areas where it's difficult to live a godly life. And so it, it doesn't change the, the ambition for our life doesn't change whether we're in good circumstances or bad. In fact, one of the verses that kind of everybody that's a Christian knows is Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things, good things, bad things. And if you talk to anybody who's seasoned at all, they will tell you, I learned a lot during difficult times. I learned a lot when I had to struggle. Sometimes you have to figure some things out. Sometimes you grow as a person. You find out you can endure things that you never thought you could endure. We, we love this verse. In all things, um, God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things, good things, bad things, all things. And we think, what a great promise. But you have to understand, the verse doesn't end here. There's more to this verse. In fact, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to his purpose. What we're going to talk about today can and and might revolutionize your life. Because to understand that God created you for a certain thing to do, for a certain purpose, God created you uh, with the mindset of, hey, there's something for you to do. In all things, there's a God has called us for a purpose. He's given us a reason to be. This is, this is kind of amazing to me if you think about it. In all things, purpose 
and calling go together. Now, um, the word call in that verse, the Greek word is kaleo. You can see the word call there. And we think of call like a phone call. But when this verse was written, mostly when you see the word kaleo or call in Scripture, it's talking about your, your purpose in life or your, your assignment in life, what God wants you to do, your mission, what God wants you to accomplish. I used, to, I used to watch Mission Impossible. It was on Sunday night, and we'd come home from church, and Mission Impossible would come on. And the thing about Mission Impossible is if you don't watch the first minute, you miss the whole idea of the whole show because it's where the mission is given to Mr. Phelps. And God has given us a mission, and he's given us something to do, and we're created with a purpose. And the big question is, have you figured out what your purpose is? Because there's a God-given reason for, your, for you being here. There's a purpose for your life. And some people never figure it out. It's not hard to figure out. I mean, you can do it. God's not hiding it from you. Um, Some people equate my purpose with my vocation, which is kind of interesting because the Latin word for call is voce, from which we get voice or vocation. But what we have to understand is I, I might have a career, but I also have a purpose. And sometimes those are the same and sometimes they're not, and that's okay. God always calls people to a purpose. You see it all the time in Scripture. From the very beginning, God created Adam, and Adam had a purpose. Adam, I need you to you know, manage the garden. I need you to name the animals. God gives Adam something to do. Uh, he, he has a purpose. Moses, think about Moses. Moses had a purpose. His purpose was to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so he had a purpose. Um, King David had a purpose, you know, be the leader of the people. You have prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, all those guys. Lamentation is not a uh, guy. Uh, Isaiah uh, uh, and, and Daniel and these guys who are, who are prophets. And their task, their purpose was to kind of talk to uh, the nation about what could happen if they don't repent. That kind of is the theme of most of those, um, those prophets. You have people like Esther. Esther's in the scriptures, her purpose was, in fact, she was, uh, she was there for a very specific reason, to save her people from annihilation. is really a big deal. And so over and over in scripture, we see people who have a calling on their lives. And you have a calling on your life, and I have a calling on my life. So we're going to talk about that today. In fact, I'm going to give you seven things, and you're thinking, seven things, good grief, we're going to be here uh, until two o'clock. Well, not really. Uh, we're going to go through these relatively quickly. But let's talk about a purpose. When God gives us a purpose, let's talk about those things. First thing is, my calling is a gift from God. Look at what it says here. God, by His grace through Christ, has called you to become His people. By His grace. Grace is a word we use often in Scripture. Sometimes you don't know what it means, but it just means to get a gift that you didn't deserve. Get a gift that you didn't deserve. Now, I... I don't know if you've gotten any bad gifts. Maybe you had bad gifts at Christmas. I used to have an aunt who would knit things for me. And so every, I think, I think she sent me stuff on my birthday. I don't remember exactly. But either my birthday, my birthday's in November and, and you know, my uh, Christmas is in December. So it was one of the two. Maybe she sent one for both uh, events or whatever. Anyway, uh, she would knit me a hat or a scarf or something like that. Well, one year she had gotten older and I opened the box up and I was surprised to find there was 
a ball of yarn, two knitting needles, a book that said how to knit, and a note that said some assembly required. I mean, it's like not the greatest gift I'd ever gotten. So sometimes we get good gifts, and sometimes we get bad gifts. Well, God's calling to us is this great gift that he gives us. Look what it says in 2 Timothy. He saves us and called us to a holy life. There's that thing again. We're, we're to live a godly life, not because of anything we've done, but because his own purpose and grace. God calls us to do what he wants us to do. And you have one and I have one. And the second thing we have to understand is he calls us for his purpose. Not my purpose. I don't get to figure it. I mean, I can figure it out. I can figure out what he wants me to do. But I don't get to... This isn't true. I can do whatever I want to do, but God has called me to his purpose. He has something for me to do. He's got something for you to do. And until we understand what that is, we sort of get bored with life, and we don't know exactly what to do with life. And it doesn't always follow the pattern that we think it's going to. There's this interesting story in Scripture about these brothers named Esau and Jacob. And Esau is older, and Jacob is younger, and in the Jewish tradition, and in that era, and that time, the oldest brother was considered special. He got double the inheritance. He um, was considered, you know, the, the special son. And as the only son in my family, I think I like this. I, I, I like that a very, a very much. I'd like for that to be the case today. But uh, Esau was born first, Jacob was born second, but God had different purposes for their life. In fact, even before they were born, really interesting, God communicates to Rebecca, their mother, that that Jacob, the second son, was actually more special. In fact, before the two boys were born, God told Rebekah the older would serve the younger, which just wasn't done, but it was going to be done because God had a purpose and a plan for their lives. Each one of us is unique. And so we have to understand a career makes our living, but a calling makes our life. I, I might do something that... that um, sometimes my calling and my, and my uh, career were the same. Like now, I think I've, I've been called to teach, and so this gives me that opportunity. But I haven't always been a pastor. When I was younger, I worked for, uh, I worked for a trucking company for a while. I worked for UPS for a while. I, I've done lots of things. I've sold advertising for a newspaper. Do you all remember what a newspaper is? I sold advertising for that at one time. and So I've done a lot of, I had a lot of, of things that I've done that weren't my calling. In fact, I, re- I remember a guy named Benny Bray. When I was a, uh, first getting into ministry, I was an um, education pastor at a church in Dallas. And we had a guy in our church named Benny Bray. Benny was um, a postal worker. In fact, he was retired from the post office by the time I met him, but he had worked in the post office. I think he told me 43 years. It's been a long time since we had that conversation, so I don't remember exactly. But 40 or so years, Benny had worked at the post office and uh, had retired from there. That was his vocation. That was his career. But his calling was to teach. He was a great Bible teacher. In fact, he had a Sunday school class that he led at our church that had, I mean, scores of people in it. Everybody wanted to be in Benny Bray's class. Benny told me one time that he studied about 20 hours a week for his Sunday school class. 20 hours a week is a lot of study. Uh, there are pastors that don't spend 20 hours a week to get ready for a sermon, and yet Benny, Benny had, a, he had a career. He, he was probably good at what he did. 
had a career he's retired from, but he certainly had a calling that was different than his career. And because he had a career didn't mean he couldn't fulfill his calling. He was, had this calling to do something. Too many people think that if God calls you to do something, it's always going to be in ministry somehow. I've got to quit you know, being a mechanic and go be this. I've got to quit being uh, somebody that works at the grocery store and go be this. And, and that's just not the case. You can have a career, you can do something, and, and God can have a different calling on your life. Maybe you are to work in children's ministry, or you're to do something at your church, or you're to serve at the soup kitchen. There's a lot of things you can do to serve people. Typically, a calling has something to do with serving somebody else. You can do a lot of things to serve people and still have a career. And so, the main thing is to understand that that God has created us uniquely for a purpose. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. Some translations say masterpiece. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema, which, from which we get the word poem. God is this master craftsman. He's this master artisan who created you specifically for a purpose. Um, I went to Russia a, a several years ago, probably, I'm trying to think of how old I was, probably 20-something years ago I went to Russia. And uh, it was just when perestroika had happened, and so they had gone from being communist to something else. And I got to go to St. Petersburg, and at St. Petersburg they had this, this um, beautiful, amazing, huge building called the Hermitage, which, for, uh, in which they house these amazing works of art. And any artist that you would know, there's probably a piece of their work in this building. I saw sketches by Michelangelo, and I saw Da Vinci things, and, and just anybody that you can name, was, there was his work in this building. It, it was awesome. Picasso, Pica, there, were, there was a whole room of Picassos, I remember. It's like, good grief. So, uh, and, and it was interesting. It's so large that it had different wings, and, and so this room would be for Impressionist art, and this wing would be for you know, classical art. And So you'd, you'd go from one to the other, and it was always interesting to me. To, and it was just so massive that it was hard to get your mind around this much art. And it was all really, really valuable. In fact, you want to know how I know it was valuable? Because there were guys standing in the corner with guns. And uh, they, they were, there was an indicator that this is really valuable. And this picture is at the Hermitage. It's called uh, The Childhood of Jesus. It's by a guy, it's a, a Dutch artist named uh, Gerrit van uh, Hornthorst. This was painted in 1620. Now, I get this. It's Jesus holding a candle while his father, Joseph, works on a project. I, I like this painting a lot. I can see how this artist used light, and the closer to the light, the brighter it is. I mean, that's brilliant. Don't you think that's brilliant? I mean, that's really, really, really good. And so, I get art, some art. I like this one. This is kind of one of my favorites at the Hermitage. Some art I don't get, this being the case. This is a Russian artist. Let me find his name for you. His name is Vasily, Vasily Kandinsky. Now, this painting is also at the Hermitage. Um, it could be on your refrigerator, as far as I'm concerned. It looks like something that your kid would do. Um, this 
painting is worth between 48 and 52 million dollars they're estimating 48 million dollars for that are you looking at this anybody look at this now I don't get this. Maybe you do. Maybe you say, oh, what are you talking about, Pastor? That's the greatest piece of work ever. I don't get this. Here's what I know. It's worth $48 million. When I go home, I'm buying a lease, a paint set, and I'm going to get her to paint something because, like, good grief, it might be worth many, many millions. Some art I get, some art I don't. When that scripture says we are God's masterpiece, for me, I have to remember this really important point. Every person, whether I like them or not, agree with them or not, or understand them or not, is valuable to God. Everybody you encounter is God's masterpiece. Everybody. Now, you might think, well, I don't agree with them, so they're, you know, they're not worthy of my time and all that stuff. It's not really not true. When Scripture says we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece... The thing that made those other paintings valuable, that one I didn't understand, the thing that made it valuable was because the artist is renowned. People know his name. People flock to buy his art. He is a master. Well, think about the masterpiece that is our God who created you and me. I see his handiwork everywhere, don't you? I love living here because when you go out the door and you drive up the you know, Reed School Road, if you look to the right, you can see the mountains. I love that. I love seeing the mountains. I'm a mountain kind of guy. I love mountains. My daughter spent uh, last summer in Montana, and she would send us pictures of her hikes. And there would be you know, snow-capped mountains and, and uh, you know, these lakes, and, and I, I just love that. And then some of you are ocean people, and you go to the ocean, and you see God's handiwork in the ocean, and I get that. And we lived in the desert southwest, and I loved that because you could see God's handiwork. For me, seeing these mountains and, and seeing this terrain, and there's miles and miles of nothing, and I just, I just think that's amazing. His handiwork didn't stop with you and me. His handiwork is everywhere, but the reason you're so valuable is because He is a master artist. He is a master craftsman. And sometimes you get a person and sometimes you don't. That doesn't change their value. So again, whether I agree with them or not, or like them or not, or understand them or not, every person that we encounter is a masterpiece. It's someone that God has poured His creativity into. And that, so now I have to think about, okay, if, if God is putting that much in me, that much in you, then I should probably contribute a little bit of something. I'm not here just to consume. I'm here to contribute. So let's talk about the third thing. God chose my calling before I was even born. We saw that with Jacob and Esau. Look at this verse. This is God speaking. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before I saw you, uh, before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. That's not just about Jeremiah. God has holy plans for us. For you. Um, if you don't know this man, oop, this fellow, I believe you say his last name, Vujovic. Uh, um, is that right? Oh, well, we'll go with that. Okay, good. Um, he was born without arms and legs. Um, he has one little foot on his, I think it's kind of his left appendage there, and it has two toes. And he's able to write with those two toes. It's an amazing, he has an amazing story. If you don't know him, or you've never heard his story, 
I just want to encourage you. Google him. Watch a half hour of his testimony. It's just amazing. He, uh, when he was born without limbs, and the doctors uh, kind of said you're, to his parents, this son, your son won't be, uh, be able to do anything. And his parents didn't listen to that. And so when he was young, he wasn't allowed to go to regular school because they didn't have adequate facilities for him. But then laws were passed where he could go to regular school. And that was sort of a blessing and a curse. He was able to be with the other kids, but the other kids bullied him for obvious reasons. And he says that when he was young, about 10 years old, he tried to, he didn't try to, but he contemplated suicide because he was like, this is just too hard. And he was in the bathtub and he thought about drowning himself and then he changed his mind because he began to realize that he was created that way for a reason. His mother showed him an article in a newspaper about a, a, a person with disabilities who had overcome those disabilities to do great things and he became inspired. You, you really need to hear his testimony sometime. And now he is a world-renowned speaker. He goes all over the place. He's a follower of Jesus and a great follower of Jesus, and he inspires people to, to be something better than they could ever be before. And even if you don't think you have much of a purpose, maybe you do. Maybe it's more than you think. And it doesn't have to be great and grandiose like this young man. It could be something simple, and you could be, uh, live a godly life where you are to the glory of God. It's really kind of, it doesn't have to be spectacular to be a calling. Isaiah said, I'm your creator, you are in my care even before you were born. It is an amazing thing to know that God knew us before we were ever breathing on this planet. Now, the fourth point is the one I like the best. My sins and my mistakes don't change my call. Sometimes we think, okay, now I've messed up, so I'm, I'm at... <laughs> I have a less, now God, God's plan for me must be less. Look, look at what Paul writes. Now, Paul was a guy who wrote much of the New Testament. Um, he is writing here to a young pastor, one of his apprentices, and he writes, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Kind of makes sense. Hey, I get to be you know, an apostle, I get to lead churches, that kind of thing. But look at what the, verse, the 13th verse. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I, I like that. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. <laughs> Has anybody in here ever acted in ignorance and unbelief? I see some of you didn't resolve to tell the truth, but that's okay. Uh, oh, I think we all could say at some point in our life we've acted in ignorance and unbelief. I have. You probably have too. I mean, do you know what he was before he became an apostle? He was a, he was ba he was a religious terrorist. He, he went out to search for Christians. He persecuted them. He uh, imprisoned them. He gave consent to uh, their death. I mean, he was a terrorist. The guy went from being a Christian terrorist, a terrorist of Christians, I should say, to being an apostle of Christ. I mean, if there was ever a guy who was the poster child for my mistakes don't keep me from my calling, it's Paul. Now, you might say, well, yeah, pastor, but he was that before he followed Jesus. I was a Christian and I messed up. Okay, okay. Let's talk about that. 
Interestingly enough, on the way in today, I was listening to a sermon by a guy named uh, Sinclair Ferguson. He's from Scotland. And so it's like listening to Braveheart preach a sermon. I mean, it's, it's the best thing ever. And the Lord, and it's just like, it's all, it's just, I don't even care what he says. I just want to hear him talk. But anyway, he was talking about, just so happened, interestingly enough, in God's providence, he was talking about Simon Peter and Jesus washing the disciples' feet and the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is telling the, the boys there, hey, uh, some bad stuff is about to go down. And you're going to be scattered. And Simon Peter, who was young, probably in his early 20s, makes a, a bold proclamation. I will not deny you if everybody else falls away. And he's kind of, can't you see this in your mind? Simon Peter is sitting in the room. There's Jesus, and he's probably pretty close because he was one of the closer friends. He looks around the table at the other guys, and he says, if... if he basically says, if these chumps fall away, I'll never fall away. And then he goes a, little, he goes a step further. I'll follow you to death. I, I love Jesus' response. Now, this is a follower of Christ. He's already made a commitment to Jesus. He's left his father and he's left a career to follow Jesus. He's made a commitment. I mean, it's not as if he's not all in. He makes a this this assertion if everyone else falls away i you you can't trust these guys but you can trust me and in that moment jesus i i don't know if it's kind or i i, I kind of wonder how he said it but but he sort of says peter before the day is over you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning before this night is ended, you will deny me three times. You'll deny that you even know me. I mean, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that when he washed his feet. He, the thing about Jesus is he didn't kick Simon Peter to the curb even knowing that he was going to be his denier. He washed Judas Iscariot's feet, the guy who, who betrayed him. He doesn't give up on us. And there you have Simon Peter, and he's making these bold claims. You know, he's a young, kind of cocky uh, man, and he's kind of an alpha dog, and he's, oh, I'm never going to deny you. And Jesus is like, dude, come on now. But what Jesus doesn't do is say, you just need to get out of here. He never kicks us to the curb. He just never does. So you might say, oh my word, pastor, I've gone through this and I've done this. And I, I, was a, a, you know, I, I made a commitment to Jesus when I was little, but now I've done all these things in my youth. And I've done all these things and I've betrayed my, uh, my commitment to Christ so many times. And how could he have a plan for me? It's because the plan never changes. When I think about God, I think about the television show, Chopped. Chopped. You ever watch Chopped? Anybody ever watch Chopped? It's on the Food Channel. They have these four chefs. This is two, by the way. I can count. But there are four of them. And uh, at the beginning of the, of the show, they have these four baskets that are in front of them. And they have ingredients that nobody would want to cook with. 
you know, the eye of a newt, you know, something like that. And so it's like, it's like a witch's brew. And so they pull these four things out. You don't even know what they are. It's a, and then they'll explain, oh, it's the, uh, you know, it's the uh, ostrich tongue. It's like, Ugh. And so they, they pull these things out of the basket. And they were given 30 minutes to create something great out of this junk. You know, it's like, you know, pickled pig feet. And, and it's just stuff that you're like, ah, oh, this looks horrible. And they pull it out of the basket. And sometimes you have to look away because it's just so gross. And somehow, in 30 minutes, they, they do something with these ingredients that they put it on a plate. And it's, I don't know how it tastes, but it looks good. And you have these judges, and they judge it. And, oh, this is good. And when I think about my life and your life, I've got a lot of junk in a basket. My, my life is a basket. There's junk in there. And somehow God, our chop champion, is able to take the junk in our lives and he makes something great out of it. And my sins and my mistakes don't change that. He just works it in. Somehow, he takes the good ingredients and the bad. We're not all bad. None of us are all bad. But some of us have some, we got some baggage. Got some stuff in the, in the basket. Not proud of. I think most of us have stuff in the basket we're not proud of. Jesus is able to take that and make something amazing. And, and maybe what you need to hear is that there's no plan B for your life. Just like Jesus knew Simon Peter was going to betray him. By the way, let me finish that story. Jesus says, you're going to betray me. Peter says, no, I'm not. Jesus is arrested and Peter goes on a tour of opportunity to betray and deny he even knows Jesus. He does it three times, just as Jesus said. Now, it's interesting, the next time you see Peter, he is fishing. You know what he's done? He had a career. He worked for his dad. Sons often took over their dad's business. Before he met Jesus, he was going to be a fisherman. So he went back to what he knew. He was a fisherman. He went back to fishing. Because he assumed that denial of Christ eliminated him from plan A which was to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, to, to, to be a, a witness for Jesus. He just sort of assumed, I, I have messed up so badly, I've got to go back. At least I have something to fall back on. I guarantee you what he was saying to himself on the night he betrayed Jesus was, well, at least I have something to fall back on. Daddy will take me back. I suspect, it doesn't say this specifically, but I suspect he went back to his father and began working the boats with his dad just like he had done before he followed Jesus. Went back to his old way of life. And Jesus rises from the dead, and he says, Peter's not there one time, but he says, go and tell my disciples and Peter. I'd like to, I'd like to see him. And he restores Peter in this beautiful, gentle way on the beach where Peter's fishing. It's... Really interesting story. In fact, it says Jesus is cooking fish over a charcoal fire. Well, Peter had denied Christ around a fire. And so think about it'd be similar smells and be similar situations. And, and Jesus restores him because he's looking 
to restore us because our call is permanent. My mistakes don't eliminate me from my calling. God's gifts and His calling are irrevocable. When He calls you, He calls you. And what's amazing about our mistakes is somehow He works that, He kneads that into the dough and He makes it come out right. A couple more things, real fast. Fifth thing my calling is connected to others. We are all one body. We have the same spirit, and we've all been called to the same glorious future hope. One of the reasons that I like church, in fact, last week was horrible. Uh, Preaching to a camera is just not much fun. Having people in the room and and getting to say hello and being face-to-face, it's much, much better. As a a church, we just need each other. The, the, The scripture talks about the body of Christ a lot, the church being the body of Christ. Now, The thing I know about a body is this. Your eyes are amazing instruments, but they only work if they're attached. My hands, they're they're awesome. They can do things. They can grip and and they they do amazing things, but they only work if they're attached. We need each other. And that's why getting together is so important for us. We fulfill our calling in the midst of one another. Sixth, God empowers you to do what He's called you to do. He empowers us to do what He's called us to do. Um, I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but you know, we bought a house to renovate, and we're in the middle of renovating, and part of that renovation included a, a couple of bathrooms. And I had a guy, I could have done all the work myself, but I'd like it to actually function. And so I called a guy named Frank to do the tile work in the bathroom. Now, I don't know if you know how this goes, but if you have a house renovation, this is how it goes down. Uh, Frank will come over to your house or whoever you get, and he'll look at the problem or the, the situation. He'll look at the, uh, the room, and he'll say, okay, this is what you need to do to prepare for me coming to lay the tile. And so there are a couple of things. You know, the wall wasn't quite where it needed to be. I need to, you, can you do this? Can you do this? And then he, he said, I need you to buy, you know, I forget now, but 45 square feet of tile for the floor, uh, whatever, and you need to buy a certain amount of square feet for the tile on the wall. And you're going to need, uh, you know, a, a little nozzle for the, the shower head. And the, he told me what I needed. I had some stuff I had to do to prepare for Frank to come lay the tile. I said, well, do you want me to get, you know, some glue? And he said, no, no, uh, I have a kind I like to use, and I'm going to get that. So you don't have to do that part, but you need to get the tile because I don't know what tile you want, and you get that. And, and then we negotiated a price, and we figured out the price, and, and that's how it works. In my life, I have a part to play in fulfilling the purpose that God has given me. I do my part. God does His part. He gives me what I need to fulfill my purpose. Look at this text. This is why we always pray for you, asking our God to help you live the kind of life He called you to live. We pray that with His power, God will help you do the good things you want and perform the works that come from your faith. God will empower us to do what He's called us to do. One last one. There's a prize for living out my calling. Look what it says in Philippians. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our prize is found in heaven. Let me show you one more picture. This is also at the Hermitage. It's called uh, The Crucifixion. It's by Alonzo Cano. It was painted in 1620. 
Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I don't feel much like a masterpiece. But when we look at the cross, we're able to see how much God loves us. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He sent His Son to go to a cross so that He could take our sins. It's really interesting if you read the story of Jesus, every time that Jesus is tried, He's found not guilty. Every time He's tried. Every court He goes in front of, they find no fault. And yet He ends up on the cross he didn't end up on the cross for, your, for his own sins. He ended up on the cross for our sins, for my sins and for your sins. If you ever doubt his love for you, all you have to do is look to the cross. You, the master was willing to make sacrifices for his masterpiece, you. And you've been called. Next week, we're going to look at, we're going to look at calling for about five more weeks Next, we're going to talk about how God has called us to love us. Really kind of the first thing is really important that we sort of get that foundation right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for a good word today about our calling and, and your forgiveness and ability to make bad things into good things. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be emboldened and encouraged that you have a calling on our lives and that you have something for us to do and it's beyond ourselves and it's not just something, it's not just selfish. It's for others. I pray that you'd guide us this week. Help us to see your handiwork in our lives all over the place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.